Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, it's Rebecca. Before we begin the episode, I want to extend a special thanks to those of you who've listened, left comments on our website, and to those of you who've left spectacular reviews on iTunes for this podcast. Please do leave a review if you haven't. We really do appreciate it. We've also just decided that we want to do a weekly podcast about season two of a serial when it comes out and to continue producing episodes in the meantime about the case, about other crimes perhaps. But we are producing this show independently now, and that isn't free, especially since we value a high-quality sound. If you want to support our continuing this podcast, please make a donation in any amount to help us out. There's a little donate button on our website, crimewriterson.com. Thanks, and enjoy the show. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and you're listening to Crime Writers on Serial. This is a special podcast homage podcast about the blockbuster spinoff of This American Life, reporter Sarah Koenig's 12-week look at the conviction of Adnan Syed for the 1999 murder of Hay Min Lee. This week, a special follow-up episode now that season one is done. It's a bit listicle and a little bit like those special clip shows they used to do in sitcoms in the 80s. You know, when everyone would sit around and reminisce and you'd hear this sound. I've assembled a panel of fellow crime writers to talk about our favorite moments from Serial Season 1 and why we loved them. Joining me to run it all down is my husband and true crime co-author Kevin Flynn, true crime writer and investigator Laura Bricker, and crime fiction author Toby Ball. You can find out more about all the crime writers at our website, crimewriterson.com. I brought my favorite clips and I asked Kevin, Toby, and Laura to bring their favorite clips from season one of Serial. And as each of us listed them, we settled on some themes that emerged from those moments in the podcast that related to Sarah Koenig's storytelling and the case. So for this episode, we're counting down our picks for the top five storylines and themes from Serial season one. Inside those, you'll hear all of our favorite moments from the show. Okay, serial storyline number five. We're calling this one Adnan, Hay, and Friends. We all picked moments from the setup portion of the podcast, which mostly ran through episodes one and two. But as you'll hear, we also talked about characters that emerged much later and helped fill in some of those 15-year-old gaps in the story. Some of them had a pretty big impact on Sarah's storytelling. So here it is. Serial storyline number five, Adnan, Hay, and Friends. 
So um, as somebody that came from a defense background where I often saw a more human side to people that were charged with crimes, I really loved this clip from Adnan in the first episode where he's saying how he wants people to understand where he comes from. And he's saying about, hey, I wish sometimes I wish they could just look into my brain and see how I really felt about her. I just sometimes wish like they could like look into my brain and see how I really felt about her. And, and no matter what else someone would say, they would see, man, this guy had no had no ill will towards it. Whatever the motivation is to kill someone, I had absolutely, it didn't exist in me. You know what I mean? No one can ever say why. People can say why. Oh, man, he was mad, this, that, or the other. But no one can ever come with any type of proof or anecdote or anything to ever say well, that I was ever mad at her, that I was ever angry with her, that I ever threatened her. You know, that's the only thing I can really hold on to. That is like my only firm handhold in this whole thing is that no one's ever been able to prove it. No one ever's been able to provide any shred of evidence that I had, and it had anything but friendship towards it, like love and respect for her. That's at the end of the day, man. I, the only thing I can ever say is, man, I had no reason to kill her. And I felt like it really humanized him, and I think that's something people often miss when they look at stories on the news. Episode 12 and what we know when we finally, finally sort of hear from Don. Don said Hay was at his house in a town north of Baltimore City on the night of January 12th, the night before she went missing. He says she wanted to spend the whole next day with him, too. She wanted him to call Woodlawn High School and pretend to be some authority figure, tell the office Hay couldn't be in school that day. She wanted it to be an excused absence rather than just playing hooky. But he didn't. He says he thought she should go to school. And besides, he told her he had to work the next day at 9 a.m. It was supposed to be his day off from the LensCrafters at the Owings Mills Mall, where they both worked. But Don said he'd arranged to fill in for a friend at the store in Hunt Valley. Don said he and Hay had made plans to meet up later that night of the 13th, after her work shift ended at 10 p.m. When the cops recovered Hay's car, there was a note inside with Don's name on it. Hey, cutie, sorry I couldn't stay. I have to go to a wrestling match at Randallstown High, but I promise to page you as soon as I get home, okay? Till then, take care and drive safely. Always, hey. I felt like a missing voice here. Finally, it's, it's the way I would have felt if we'd heard from Jen in the final episode. It was just like, here's this whole other person that Hay was sleeping with, that she was close with, that knew her, that maybe saw her you know, the day before the day she died. And it was just really interesting to hear that take. Okay, as a fiction writer, one of my favorite parts in all the podcasts was when Kathy's retelling uh, the story about when Jay and Anand showed up at her place unexpectedly um, uh, the night of the murder. And I was kind of surprised, like a little confused, because he didn't come unless, you know, it was with Jen and nobody had called to say, like, hey, are you guys home? Do you want to hang out? Nothing like that. So it was a little strange that he would just pop up at the door. I liked it because it was, it was a real scene. It was one of the few times when it was easy to sort of, uh, you know, close your eyes and picture this as a scene taking part in a, in a movie because uh, it, was, it was told with uh, quite a bit of detail. And I remember him being like, you know, do you want to smoke? Do you want to hang out? And I remember being like, well, hang on a second and asking Jeff, you know, if he wanted to, you know, I was like, Jay's at the door. You know, Jeff was like, for what? And I, I think he wants to hang out. And Jeff was like, so, you know. That's cool. So Jay came in and he introduced his friend. I don't think he introduced him by name. I think he was just like, you know, this is a friend of mine. 
Kathy remembers Jay sat over by the table and Anand settled on the floor on some big cushions that were there and didn't speak. I remember the guy wasn't doing a whole lot of talking. Like he was just kind of like slumped over and missed all my cushions. Um, and I kind of like thought it was really strange. Like, who is this guy? You know, like, who is this guy? Um, when I first heard about Kathy's statement and her testimony, it didn't seem like a big deal to me. This is a girl who says some kid she didn't know who was high was acting strangely in her living room. I've been that girl, for Christ's sakes, having to deal with a stoned friend of a friend on the living room floor. And I've probably been that weird guy on the floor at least once. But listening to Kathy tell it all these years later, the way it stuck with her, how she describes the whole night as just feeling wrong, that also made it stick with me. I loved in the very beginning of the podcast when we heard Sarah reading from Hayes' diary and a little radio trick hearing a swell of the only music in this entire podcast that was not written for this podcast. So prom night, she writes about Adnan, quote, I swear he is the sweetest guy. Let me tell you why. He was prom prince and Stephanie was prom princess. And traditionally, they're supposed to dance together to my song, Casey and Jojo's All My Life. I tried to act natural and unjealous, but it did kind of bother me. Ten seconds later, guess who danced with me and not with Stephanie? Adnan. Now, how can I not fall in love with this guy? Of course, I gave him his first kiss on the lips. Then I totally fell in love with him. Since then, I keep on falling deeper and deeper into him. The bad thing is that we have to keep things secret. Sigh. But it's okay, because love conquers all. I loved it because it sort of reminded me that there was a real story here, a real person behind the story, and that that person loved cheesy 90s ballads. Just like, to me, I knew this was going to have a lot of heart. Um, I also, like Rebecca, loved the clip of the Casey and JoJo song. I could feel myself in this high school dance gym. I could totally visualize these young teenagers in love, finding each other, and it really made it uh, real to me hearing that. What I like about that, as someone who's done research with real people, is that you do get access to letters and diaries and things like that, and you get a real sense of their personality. And I think what she means by it's such a uh, teenage girl's diary is that you think when you would open it up, it would be this full-fleshed character who's going to do, like, Captain's Log from Star Trek. And instead, it really is sort of filled with things that are appropriate of a 17-year-old girl and remind you who she is. Clips there selected by my fellow crime writers for our number five storyline from Serial Season 1, Adnan Hay and Their Friends. The number four storyline from Season 1 is Baltimore and the red herrings and atmosphere that it seems only this city could provide. Also, the distractions, at least for one producer on the show. Let's get to it. One of my favorite parts was uh, the part in episode three, the story of Mr. S finding Hayes' body in Leakin Park. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. This is taped from a police interview of the man who finds Hay. He's a little hard to hear on the tape. He's soft-spoken. I'm going to call this man Mr. S. I don't want to use his full name for reasons I promise will become clear. 
Mr. S works in the maintenance department at a local school. I think I may have discovered a body in Lincoln Park. I think I may have discovered a body in Lincoln Park, he says. I thought it was really compelling. One of the the few disappointments I had in the series was that this was just kind of left to drop. She sort of sets up this weird little situation where, you know, the body's almost impossible to see, yet this guy happens to park in a place where he can walk back, and he sort of, you know, stumbles upon it. Uh, I'd rather be out of my refrigerator with a 22-ounce Budweiser, and I was drinking on my way back to uh, school where I broke that. And I had to go to the bathroom, so I pulled over. And I went further in the woods so no one would see me urinate. And when I discovered uh, what it looked like with a body in the woods. One of the clips I liked was from episode three, where they go to Lincoln Park, and uh, Sarah's on her way there and finds out a little bit about the reputation of the location. Just a word here about Lincoln Park. It's actually spelled Leakin Park, L-E-A-K-I-N, but almost everyone in Baltimore pronounces it Lincoln Park. It's huge, over a thousand acres on the western edge of Baltimore City. It's got a reputation, and not for the beauty of its woods or its trails or its nature center. What it's known for, sadly, is dead bodies. Mention Leakin Park to people from Baltimore, as I often did, and you're pretty much guaranteed to get a comment like this. Well, you're digging in Lincoln Park to bury your body, you're going to find somebody else's. That's Lincoln Park. I love this, and I'm going to call back to my favorite author, who's David Simon, who wrote extensively about Baltimore in The Wire and in the original book, Homicide, A Year on the Killing Streets. He talks about Lincoln Park. And again, he says that as far as this is a famous dumping ground. And he tells the story of when um, some rookie cops were looking for a body. He said, we're looking for one body in particular. Quote, if you go grabbing at everyone you find, we'll be here all day. That's essentially what the cabbie said. When I told the rental car guy in West Baltimore, I was working on a story about a girl who was found in Lincoln Park. He said, oh, yeah, my uncle was found dead in Lincoln Park. A macabre website dedicated to Baltimore murders lists 68 bodies found there since 1946, though the list is missing at least seven years of stats, so that number is probably low. I loved that tiny moment, Laura, I think that maybe you agree with me, in episode five when we meet Dana. Yeah, that is the golf course. Okay. And we hear her just for a second. to be other places. You could have just pulled over for a quick smoke, if indeed that's what needed to happen. There's a shrimp sale at the Crab Crib. Sometimes I think Dana isn't listening to me. Yes, that was actually on my list. I just loved it. I felt like, you know, they're going along, and then Dana says, hey, there's a shrimp sale at the Crab Crib. And it just made me feel like I was in the car with them, riding along on their adventure. And I think, you know, maybe we should have stopped at the Crab Crib. We could have had some real clues to this story there that we might have missed. (laughs) (laughs) 
Moving on to storyline number three on our list, justice for Adnan, or injustice, depending on your point of view. A lot of this part of Adnan's story got complicated and involved cell tower records and prosecution strategy. But for Laura, it was an unused alibi that stood out, while for Toby and Kevin, it was all about real-life sound from the courtroom. One of the big things for me was Asia, the alibi witness. So I loved the letters from her um, to Adnan that just, they, they sounded so innocent and so high school-like, but at the same time, it was something that really cast doubt on the case and on the defense that Adnan was given at his case and made you really think there's more to the story that we don't know. Adnan sends the letters to Rabia, and here's what she reads. The first letter, the first of two, is dated March 1st, 1999. That is one day after Adnan was arrested. At the top of the letter, she notes, I just came from your house an hour ago. Dear Adnan, I hope I spelled it right. I'm not sure if you remember talking to me in the library on January 13th, but I remember chatting with you. She says, quote, we aren't really close friends, but I want you to look into my eyes and tell me of your innocence. If I ever find otherwise, I will hunt you down and whip your ass. Okay, friend? At the bottom, she added a little note. My boyfriend and his best friend remember seeing you there, too. That's letter number one. Then the next day, on March 2nd, she writes Adnan another letter. This one's typed. It's chattier. She talks about the gossip in school, the bits and pieces of evidence about the crime that are circulating, what the students are saying, what the teachers are saying, about her visit to his house. Quote, your brothers are nice. I don't think I met your mother. I think I met your dad. Does he have a big gray beard? They gave me and Justin soda and cake. There's a whole bunch of people at your house. I didn't know who they were. I also didn't know that Muslims take their shoes off in the house. Thank God they didn't make me take mine off. My stinky feet probably would have knocked everyone out cold. Why haven't you told anyone about talking to me in the library, she asks him. Did you think it was unimportant? You didn't think that I would remember? Or did you just totally forget yourself? Adnan says now that he does, in fact, remember seeing Asia in the library. The thing he remembers about it is so high school. Asia used to go out with Adnan's friend Justin, and Justin had confided that Asia was a proper young lady. In other words, Justin wasn't getting any. So Adnan remembers thinking he would now get to tease Justin about seeing Asia with her new boyfriend. Maybe the new guy was getting lucky. Ha ha. Anyway, Rabia calls Asia up. It's been a year since she wrote the letters, but she agrees to meet. And she told me uh, that day after school, I went to the public library and Adnan was sitting at a computer checking email or something, and I sat down next to him, and we started chatting. And um, Adnan was a very popular boy in school. He's handsome and, you know, popular with the ladies. So she was speaking to him, and her boyfriend shows up a little bit later with a friend. And um, she said her boyfriend was really angry at her because he's like, why are you talking to him? You know, as high school kids, you know, why are you talking to him? Is he hitting on you? Um, and she remembered very specifically that that day she went home with her, she went to her boyfriend's house with him. Um, and they got snowed in, and that snowed really heavily that night. And um, she remembered that for the following two days, the school was closed. So she had very specific details about um, why she remembered that day. The absolute best piece of tape for me in the entire series comes from episode 10 during the voir dire of jurors. We, we hear, first of all, Judge uh, Quarles ask potential jurors to come up and uh, explain why they may not be a good fit for this homicide case. Have you or any close family member ever been the victim of a crime, convicted of a crime, 
serve time for a crime, or have pending criminal charges. A lot of people rise from their seats and then line up to talk to the judge. I can't tell exactly what proportion of the jury pool, but it looks to be at least half. What did you come up to tell me? Uh, my husband's son mm-hmm. was convicted of murder. Good morning, 41. Good morning. What did you um, come up to tell me? My house was broken into and we were robbed when was, in the middle of the night. When about, was that? Uh, six years ago. Good morning, 37. Good morning, yeah. What did you come up to tell me? My husband was shot. I have a brother that's wanted. He's 17. Um, in May, my parents and I were victims of an assault, and in October, my aunt was shot in the head. Uh, my husband was convicted, handgun violation. And my brother was commit, um, convicted of attempted murder. And my partner is a rape victim. I was robbed of a small amount of money on the street. Next. 207. 207. Good morning, 207. What did you come up to tell me? That I have two uncles who serve in time for murder. Okay. Um. Like, again, this is, first of all, uh, such a rare and compelling piece of audio. And also it goes to what I said earlier about David Simon and the, the character of Baltimore. He used the quote, Baltimore is the home of the misdemeanor homicide. It happens so often, it's like almost nobody cares. In in the uh, the best defense is a good defense episode, the uh, the part where uh, Gutierrez really latches on to the fact that uh, the prosecutor Yurik has uh, set Jay up with his attorney. Did anyone help provide you a Objection. Overruled. Yes, ma'am. Who? Mr. Yurik. Yes, ma'am. I thought it was really compelling because it's one of the instances you get where you you get the sense that sort of forces were were arrayed against Adnan and that, you know, he was really fighting an uphill battle uh, once once law enforcement had their preferred narrative. So those were Laura Bricker, Toby Ball, and Kevin Flynn's picks for standout serial moments around our number three storyline from season one, Justice or Injustice for Adnan, depending on your point of view, of course. The number two storyline, we all agreed on it, no problem. It's more of a who than a what, and that who's name is Jay. They said something like, we know what you and Jay did, or we talked today. And I'm like, Jay, Jay, like, I had a look of puzzlement on my face, like, like, what what do you mean? Like, what do you mean, Jay? Anon, of course, says Jay's story isn't true. But he says he doesn't know why Jay would lie, either. He says when he first heard Ritz and McGillivray mention Jay's name in connection with his own arrest, he was just confused. And the same guy, McGillivray, he kind of, like, snorted, like, huh, you know what we're talking about. No, I mean, I had, I had no idea, and the reaction that he gave me was like, stop playing dumb. I was somewhat fixated on this um, relationship between Jay and Stephanie and Adnan. So I really um, enjoyed when there was a clip where Adnan actually finally got it. Jay might have an issue with him and his relationship with Stephanie. Adnan says, like, you know, when I was talking like, about... Like, you know, when I was talking about how close I was with Stephanie, they were like, you know... And you never, like, looked at me like I was an idiot. Like, you know, you never thought that this father, Jay, 
I was like, no, I never, you know, my relationship were like just friends. So mm-hmm. I, that was kind of like an aha moment um, where I was like, huh. So then it kind of like now I'm thinking about all the things, you know, that took place between us. It just kind of like started to make a little bit sense. Like maybe he was, you know, mad at me. Because always in my mind, like, man, why would you do this to me? I feel like that definitely played into this case, so I was glad to see Adnan finally get that, but I think it also really revealed Adnan as a character that he didn't get it. Another one of my favorite parts uh, was in the last episode is when we uh, talked to Josh, and we finally get a sense of what Jay was like in the days following Hayes' death. Jay was always sort of one of the the two main sort of players in this. And we hear so much about Adnan and, and not nearly as much about Jay. So it was interesting to hear, you know, his his paranoia and, and the fear that he had. He was, I mean, frightened out of his mind and not of the police. Like they were the the secondary fear. I mean, he, he was afraid of going to jail, but not like. Like he was afraid uh, of uh, Admon, I guess is how you say his name. I don't know. Adnan. Adnan, that's it. Josh says Jay actually never told him Adnan's name. But Josh has listened to the podcast, so he knows the name now. But back then, he didn't. He says Jay told him he was afraid that people were after him, people connected to the murderer. Across the street from the video store was a, a parking lot for the Amtrak commuter trains. And the parking lot was usually empty in in the evening. Well, that particular night, there was a van in that parking lot, which I'm pretty positive had nobody in it, but Jay was afraid. I mean, like to the, he was almost in tears. Yeah. He didn't want to go outside. He he didn't even want to look out the door because he really thought the van that was across the street was like people waiting to get him. My favorite episode of the whole series, at the end of episode seven, when we hear Sarah talk about being all alone while the Innocence Project is going to be going about their business, and she's just going to be sitting with her tiny garden spade, digging at the thing that's always really bothered her. Me, I'm going to stay right here at home with my little garden spade and keep scraping at the thing that confuses me most. Jay. Next time on Serial. I think that's the big question of the whole thing. What is the deal with Jay? I don't know if we'll ever know, but to me that moment when I heard it in that episode, I stopped what I was doing and I may have exclaimed out loud, which was maybe a little bit embarrassing, but that's what happened. All over season one there, but the storyline that got us all confounded all season was Jay, and we obviously aren't alone in that. He's pretty much all that fellow fans of the show have been talking about. Okay, so this is it for all of us. Our top one or two clips seem to revolve around one thing. That one thing is the big question that frames the whole season. We hear Sarah ask it at the beginning and then weigh it at the very end. The number one storyline and theme from Serial Season 1, according to the crime writers, who is Adnan really, and did he do it? Did Adnan Syed murder Hay Min Lee? Part of my favorite portion of this series is when we got to hear from the Innocence Project. I've worked on many cases 
defense cases as an investigator, so I knew exactly what they were going through, and I loved Deirdre's energy, and I loved hearing her talk about how difficult it was when you had an innocent client to represent, and I have been through that situation, and I could totally relate to that, and I just loved her energy coming to this case. So there was a case that I had, the federal capital murder case, right, where my client, Daryl Rice, right, charged with killing two women hikers in the Shenandoah National Park and blah, blah, blah. They filed a motion saying the motive in this case was hatred. It was a um, he hated lesbians. That's why he murdered these two women. So Daryl Rice was easy for me, not in the beginning, because his answers weren't self-serving and helpful the way you'd think He's had time to think about this. Why Why doesn't he have a better answer than that? And then I started to realize because he hasn't been thinking about this because he didn't murder anybody. And so, like, I remember one day I had in there maps, right, to show him, uh, like, where the crime scene was versus where the lodge was versus where mile marker 42 point, you know. And so I put I put this all out on a table and get my reading glasses. And and then I said, so so when you would camp there, can you show me where you were? And then he was like, OK, well, I didn't I didn't camp there. I, I, I would ride bikes there. And of course, I'm like, OK, well, whatever that, you know, who cares? Whatever you're in. You've been in the park before. And then finally I said, but in relation to the crime scene. And then he <laughs> looked at me and it was so simple. And but he said, well, I. I don't, I don't know where the crime scene was, so can you show me that? And I remember thinking, of course, I'm like everybody else. I yeah. think he knows where the crime scene is, right? Hearing from the Innocence Project was a really great moment for the series. This is episode seven. And Sarah was talking to, you know, maybe her Jedi master here in Deirdre Enright. And I do like the piece earlier where she basically says that, you know, the, the, the innocent guy isn't really very helpful in his case. But then Sarah has to confide that she fears that maybe Adnan isn't the person that he's said that he is. And then I just am aware of, like... What if he is this amazing sociopath and not just like I'm being played, you know? I mean, I don't get that sense, but he, I mean, he's really charming. He's really <laughs> smart. He's really, he's funny. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah. And he could totally be a sociopath. But see, here's <laughs> right? where I go with that. Like in my 20, how I'm six years of doing this, I, I pray for a sociopath. Because I never get those guys. I get the innocent ones and I get these dumb. Um, so me and my friends smoked crack for three days and we drank five bottles of whatever. And then we got a plan. That's who I get all the time. So I think like the odds of you getting the charming sociopath, you're just not that lucky. You know, it's like she comes out and she's like, oh, grasshopper, silly you. You know, of course, you know, you would be the lucky one to get the sociopath, the psychopath. It's just not that easy. Not only does it explain a lot, it also just further complicates the narrative of Serial, which makes it all the better. Episode 7, The Opposite of the Prosecution. When Deirdre offers to have her team take Adnan's case, she says yes, and then Sarah checks in with them and they give their opinion as to Adnan's guilt.
Four weeks later, I checked back in with Deirdre and two of her students, Katie Clifford and Mario Pea. They'd read through all the files. Do you guys, do any of you guys think Adnan's guilty? No. No. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have been able to find him guilty with this. No, I, this is one of the things that was very odd when I first started reading this case was how precisely he was convicted under this amount of material. Um, But no, I do not see him as being guilty at this point. I would just, at this point, knowing what I know, I would say, I guess I'd I'd have to put him in the person of interest category because he was an old boyfriend. But Mm -hmm. even that, I would think like, but I see no evidence that he was mad. Mountains of reasonable doubt. Yeah. I love that moment because I felt like Sarah finally wasn't alone in this. She was going to have some professionals helping her out. Professionals who, by the way, at the time sort of were on the same page that I was as a listener. I mean, you don't even really know me, though, uh, Tony. I, I'm, you don't. I, I, maybe you do. Maybe I mean, you know. I don't. We only talk on the phone. I don't understand what you mean. You know, I think. For me, probably the most important moment of the whole series was when Adnan and Sarah are talking and Adnan uh, says, you know, you don't know me. You know, if, if I have to hear one other person say that uh, I couldn't have done it because I'm so nice. He, and he really wants Sarah to focus on the facts. And that's when you, re- at least for me, that was when I realized that, you know, Adnan, he's got an outcome he wants, and there's a way of reaching that outcome, and that it's not necessarily what Sarah is doing. What do you think I don't know about you? To be honest with you, it kind of, I feel like I want to shoot myself if I hear someone else say, I don't think you did it because you're a nice guy or not. So I guess kind of, you know, you wouldn't know that, but I've heard people say that to me over the years, and it just drives me crazy. I would love someone to hear, I would love to hear someone say, I don't think that you did it because I looked at the case and it looks kind of flimsy. I would rather someone say, but no, I think you're a jerk, you're selfish, you're, you know, you're crazy SOB. You, may, you would just stay in there for the rest of your life, except that I looked at your case and it looks, you know, like a little off, you know, like something's not right. Yeah, I like that clip, too, in the sense that, first of all, it's a really good piece of tape, but it also kind of shows the kind of guy that Adnan is and his motivation for doing this. He says that he doesn't want people to say he's innocent because he's a nice guy. He says that he wants people to say he's innocent because he really didn't do it. That was my co-author and partner in crime, Kevin Flynn, true crime writer and investigator, Laura Bricker, and crime fiction author, Toby Ball. They were kind enough to chat with me for the past few weeks about Serial Season 1 and to share their favorite moments from the podcast. You can visit our new website, crimewriterson.com, to find all of the episodes we recorded, as well as links to all of our books. And please, if you'd like us to continue with this podcast for Serial Season 2, and even talk about some other topics in between, make a donation at crimewriterson.com to support this independently produced podcast. We want to continue, and we want to keep it sounding good, but that's not free, unfortunately. Thanks so much for listening and for the great reviews you left on iTunes. Keep them coming. I wouldn't unsubscribe quite yet. You never know when we might drop a new episode into the feed. Feel free to send me an email with your feedback or questions we can answer on future episodes about serial, crime writing, real-life crimes, or anything else that's on your mind. You can find all my contact information at crimewriterson.com. 
I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers on Serial. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you soon. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.